0: Hey, welcome back to the Mountain Park Church podcast. My name is Andrew and I am excited to be with you today. This is a totally different kind of episode. You're gonna hear from some teaching in the last week at our church live in Niagara. Also, we're going to walk through with you piece by piece what happened in person at the end of our service. One of the things I mentioned at the beginning of this message, and I'll just mention at the outset again too, a strong conviction that I have is that we cannot approach scripture from just a a purely propositional standpoint, that this is just knowledge to add to our piggy bank of knowledge. This is meant to be understood and experienced in real life. And so I've wrestled with this for the whole week, whether to include what happened at the end of of our service or not. And I want you to know that our heart in including this is to be an encouragement to you. Um, it, It is from a, for a teaching point of view and it is to build your faith. So I'm gonna pass you off to the first section of the message and then Right at the end of that, before I pray to close what was our live service, I have a few more things to interject into there. See you then. Ministry and work of the Spirit all through Scripture. Of course, we had Pentecost uh, Sunday last week and uh, as I mentioned to you last week, one of the sort of the convictions, the fearful convictions that I, I, I'm walking with these days is especially as we continue to talk about um, the life of the church, the spirit and gifts, um, you cannot learn these propositionally. These are not articles of information that can just be passed on and, um, you know, and then we're done with it. These are things by their very nature that are intended to be lived into. So uh, much of our church, I would say it's true for ours and, and for the Western church in general. We have a theology of the power of God, but no experience with it. We have a theology of spiritual gifts, but we don't walk in them or operate in them. Having a theology about something is great. That's a a great place to start. But simply having a theology that God works in power still is not enough anymore. If you talk to missiologists, like people who study sort of what's happening around the world right now, Something, um, increasingly that you're hearing is that our culture, our culture in the West is, is shifting from a post Christian culture into a pagan culture again. We are, we are living in a pagan culture. Increasingly, we are living in a book of Acts type of culture. And there's two things necessary in a pagan culture. One, is the proclamation of the good news. Two is the demonstration of the power of God. The things that are on the table when you're not dealing just with a, um, you know, a post-enlightenment, intellectual, philosophical, post-God, post-Christian you know, worldview, when you're dealing with a pagan worldview, The question at the end of the day is whose God has more power? And this is what we see all through the book of Acts. In Acts 15, Paul says that two things were the qualifiers for him preaching the gospel fully. One was the proclamation of the good news. Two was the demonstration with signs and wonders and power. Those two things have to be present in the life of the church and I my, my just my own anecdotal sort of thinking you could take it or leave it it's okay with me if you just go that you're wrong Andrew I hear that every day um, mostly in my own head but um, we need increasingly in the life of the church a witness not just of the intellectual truth that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We, people need to encounter the real Jesus, setting them free from real things and bringing real healing and real restoration. This is the good news of the gospel is the kingdom is available. Not just to think about it and know about it. Those are excellent places to begin and they're excellent things that we need. We of course need to think rightly and wellly, if that's a word, probably not, about the kingdom of God, but we need a church, not not pastors. Like we need a church that is walking in the authority and anointing and power of the kingdom of God. Your neighbors need that. Your neighbors need a neighbor like I E U who is carrying the availability of the kingdom on your street, willing to pray for healing, willing to fast and intercede, willing to step into spiritual places to bring them freedom from bondage and deliverance. Something uh, Rochelle and I have done a few times and it's something I'm wanting to start to cultivate is just walking our neighborhood and I've just simply started by, by saying, Jesus, I give me your heart for my neighborhood because I don't have it right now. I'm content to come and go, right? I'm content to be inside the boundaries of my property, in the backyard, putting meat on a fire and doing all the wonderful things I love to do. But Jesus, I need your heart for my neighborhood, I'm not even starting with like use me supernaturally. I need divine appointments. I first just need your heart. I need to have like a a burning conviction that it's not okay for me to just let people suffer in bondage all around me and not do anything, not even pray for them. Increasingly, I think the Church that is not operating with both of those things, proclamation and demonstration, will become irrelevant. And we'll see what we're already beginning to see. And this is not a a searing indictment of anyone in particular or anything. But when you're not walking in kingdom power, you're arguing about doctrine. You're fighting about things no one cares about that make no difference to anyone's actual real life. When you're not walking in kingdom authority, you're focused on nitpicking things that are not essential to the kingdom life and freedom of those around us. When you're not walking in authority and in power, you just turn into this giant institution that is angry, agitated, upset, and bickering about stuff like fine details that none of us actually know the real answers to anyway in Scripture. I don't want to be a church like that. I don't want to be a person like that. I feel like God in this season is calling us into a different kind of reality. And so, as I've mentioned before, we're just... We want to build a culture where we can learn t- together and where failure is okay. Where we can learn to steward God's presence in a way that is not filled with fear and insecurity and like, oh my goodness, what if we get something wrong? Do like Honestly, do we think that Jesus is threatened by us making mistakes and failing in the church. He's not. I'll just fill that answer in for you if you're (laughs) wondering. He's not. We're threatened because it actually, it uncovers areas of insecurity in our own life. It says more about us than it does about anything else. Jesus isn't threatened by churches that are walking into new places and stumbling their way along. He's not threatened by that. He's not threatened when we kind of when we step out and encourage and and maybe speak a word to somebody that's just not right. He's not threatened by that. So as a church, we want to build that kind of culture and we're going to do our best not to create a cookie cutter uh, script that we follow every week where, okay, at you know, 11 o'clock, this has to happen in the service. And then we have to, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in building a charismatic culture where you are responding in ways that you know you're supposed to. We're not interested in that. We're interested in just following the direction of the Holy Spirit and where he's leading. And so it may not look the same every week, but our heart and our intention is to give Jesus the space that he wants to have to work in your life. If I just talk the whole time, not much is going to happen. This is what I'm realizing after six years of talking all the time on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm seeing the fruit of that and going, uh, I don't know, maybe i got to change some things up. So last week we talked about Pentecost. I, I, just a few reminders. We're going to continue to have this dialogue about tongues today and sort of uh, finish up that. But just a few reminders um, and you'd need to listen back, so go go on to our podcast. You can listen back for the full explanation. But uh, understanding Pentecost, so just these are just some bullet points. The purpose of Pentecost is rooted in the Old Testament. It's not just this new thing that God was like, oh, that'd be super cool. Let's just like, let's just like, what can we do? Tongues of fire? Yeah, let's do that and. All this weird stuff, it's actually rooted in the Old Testament. The backdrop in the Old Testament for Pentecost in the natural sense is Genesis 11 and 12. That's the story of Babel and the disinheriting of the nations. The supernatural backdrop of Genesis 11 and 12 is Deuteronomy 32.8 and Psalm 82. Again, I won't cover that now, but that's the spiritual backdrop. And this reality... That God has not only a human family, you and I, but he has a created and divine family. That he has a created and divine family that he's given responsibility and authority on the earth to. And these divine, as Scripture calls them, sons of God, or divine counsel is another phrase found in our Scripture, These divine sons of God transgressed the heart of God. They weren't leading the peoples that they were overseeing into the presence of God. They were leading them away. And so God in Genesis 11 and 12, he disinherits them. But then out of the middle of that kind of rebellion, out of the middle of it, he calls Abram. And he says, I'm going to make now a people for myself. A nation that will bless the earth. And so that's a bit of the backdrop. Pentecost was the beginning of the reversal of all of that. Pentecost was the inauguration, the beginning of God taking back the earth. So remember, we're living in this tension right now. We talk about it often, but we got to remember this, right? scripture provides this tension of our present day the whole earth is the lord's and everything in it but we're under the rule of the kingdom of darkness right so satan when he comes to jesus and tempts him he says you know bow to me and i'll give you all these kingdoms jesus doesn't correct him or in any way confront that claim he knew that satan had authority Over the kingdoms of the world. 1 John 5 says the world is under the control of Satan. So we have this tension we're living in where, yes, we know the whole earth is the Lord's, but we're in the middle of a battle zone and we are walking on contested ground. We are walking on enemy territory and the good news of the gospel is the full availability of the kingdom of God in the midst of enemy territory to bring life and freedom and hope and deliverance and healing and restoration. So Pentecost was the inauguration of that on a whole earthwide scale. Jerusalem, of course, was important because it was the place According to God, of that was the place of his presence. All of the people that were gathered with Jewish descent would have understood why Jerusalem, because it was significant. That was the place of God's presence. And So these people begin to speak in other languages. They begin to speak in tongues in Acts 2. And uh, we covered this last week, but that those were human languages, known human languages that they were speaking in. And what they were declaring was the glory and the goodness of God. They were worshiping. There, uh, for some of us who have grown up or some of you who have grown up in a cessationist background, which just means that you believe The supernatural or the power gifts, there's no actual categories in Scripture for these things, but some of you grew up being taught that the power gifts of God died with the last apostle, John and that they were instrumental only in validating the gospel, the good news, that that was the purpose of the the spiritual gifts, that was the purpose of prophecy, that was the purpose of tongues, all of that, was to validate the message of the apostles. And one of the, the big arguments they would use is that tongues is evangelistic in its nature. And that the purpose of tongues is to kind of declare the gospel. But that's not what we actually see in Scripture. Tongues are not used to declare the gospel in that way. They're used to glorify God and to worship him. It's a gift that we still believe is in operation today. So a couple things just about tongues that we talked about last week, just to clarify for us, tongues, the gift of tongues, as talked about in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 14, also in Acts 2. We see them um, come into, uh, in, in three other places in Acts as well, Acts 10, Acts 19, I think Acts eight, um, but what are our tongues? The capacity to supernaturally speak in another human language. So that's one. That's one of the, um, one of the uses of the gift of tongues, is the capacity to speak in an unknown language. This is, then would be the capacity to speak in a language you have not previously known or studied. That's foreign and unknown to you. And there's lots of uh, examples of this. I think, Mark, you even had one with your dad, right? Um, In in a missions context, right? And so there's a supernatural ability to give utterance in a human language. Um, And again, that's going to be something that that is aimed at bringing glory to Jesus. And there's many stories of this. The other species, if we will, that's, that's the word I'll use. The other kind of tongue, so that's the phrase Paul uses, are kinds. He said there are different kinds of tongues. That word in the Greek literally means species. So another species of tongue is an unknown, unknown non-human language spoken to God. So this is not a language that is found on earth. There are different ideas, and these are just ideas and concepts because Scripture is not definitive about many of these things, but some people would, would uh, believe that those who have the gift of tongues have a unique individual language that only God would understand between them and God, and that every person that has the gift of tongues would have a different language. Others believe that it would be more a generic, angelic language, that you're now entering into the language of heaven and of angels. It doesn't really matter either way. But those are the two species of tongues, the two kinds of tongues talked about in Scripture. So what, what is the purpose of tongues? 1 Corinthians 14.2, 14, 14 and 15 and 28. Um, A huge purpose for tongues is prayer to God. So Paul separates this gift, and we're going to talk a bit more about this in the next few minutes. He separates this between a corporate expression in the life of the church and a personal expression of devotion and prayer. Both are valid. So again, there's some people that would say, oh, you know, Uh, individual personal use of the gift of tongues is not permitted by Paul, which is not true. It's only the corporate expression that God recognizes. That I would disagree with. I would actually say Paul explicitly says to those actually that are even using tongues improperly in corporate environments where there's no interpretation, he would say, be quiet If there's no interpretation, stop talking and instead edify yourself in your own time with God. That's what Paul's directive is. So purpose of tongues, prayer to God. Number two, edification and strengthening. This is what Paul says tongues does. It edifies and strengthens the one who's speaking in tongues. There's a huge value in this. One of the other things, one of the, again, this is just, I'm just, these are thoughts from Andrew right now. I wonder, I wonder if one of the purposes even in the gift of tongues is the confrontation and our tendency as human beings to rely on intellect and knowledge, and understanding. Our desire to apprehend and control information in situations. When you are praying privately in tongues, you're praying to God, you have no idea what you're saying. And I actually think that's a mechanism of God to say, look, this is not about you. It's not about what you can understand. It's not even about whether you feel this time is an effective use of your time. This is like a confrontation of our obsession to calculate and numerate everything in our life and weigh it on the scales as to whether it's worthwhile to us based on what we receive from it based on what we get, what we attain from it. I think part of the the beauty of this is the submission and the surrender to say, Father, I'm gonna enter into something that has no known benefit to me right now. No, no, I can't calculate right now how I'm interceding or what I'm saying. I can't control this or govern this in that way. Let me just make a really important point on that because I just I don't want to confuse things Paul is very clear with every spiritual gift that the spirit God's spirit is subject to the prophet I want to say this super gently and just really clearly you are never out of control with any spiritual gift there is never a case Never a case where you cannot stop and bring yourself back into order. There is never a situation where we would be, biblically, where we would be allowed to say, I can't help it. It's just all happening. I can't I can't do anything about it. That is not biblical. It's part of why Paul is drawing lines for the corporate use of this for order so that the full benefit of what God wants to speak into the body and in the family is experienced. But if we have this sort of false biblical belief that these gifts are ecstatic in that way and that we have no control over them, then it's just gonna be chaos. And you know who reigns in chaos? is the enemy. He loves chaos. He loves to stir it up. He loves to confuse. He loves to distract. He loves that. And he loves it when God's people enter into that without wisdom. And so tongues, like every other spiritual gift, is an act of my will, an act of your will and your volition. There are sometimes things, I think, that God does to us, like when we read in scripture, the, the like often the people that encountered the presence of the Lord, you know, think of John in Revelation. What does he do? He falls down. He falls. There are often things that can happen to us that we haven't premeditated or planned or whatever. But we're talking specifically about the use of spiritual gifts here. And Paul is very clear. The spirit is subject to the prophet. And it's part of the boundaries, the healthy boundaries, that he wants to instill for the church. So, last one there, praise and warfare. Um... So I, I want to just ask, and there's, there's no shame here at all. No, I, there's, this isn't a secret test of anything at all in any way. I'm just curious. Who here has the gift of tongues? Can you just raise your hand? Okay. So a fair number of you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Um, I want to just ask you here who do have that gift... Is that a gift that you are currently cultivating as an act of devotion to God? Like, is that something that is actually a part of your, the cry of your heart devotionally? I want to make sure together that, again, we place these things in their right place. Sometimes we can get this idea that these gifts are like these mechanical instruments that we bring into the corporate body but don't actually use in our private personal life. And I would just want to encourage you, if you have the gift of tongues and you pray and have the capacity to pray in the Spirit, I want to encourage you to make that... like. maybe you need to renew that as a vital part of your spiritual life with God. Not for anyone else's benefit or purpose, but just growing intimacy and devotion with him. I'm much less interested in hearing people corporately speak a word in tongues and then have interpretation as the only way that someone would use that gift it's a gift like I mentioned last week that was over a year of earnest prayer for me. I I I consider it sacred. Sometimes depending on the stream of faith that we've grown up in and we've been a part of tongues can be just sort of a it actually can be a source of mockery. And it just grieves me so deeply. When we belittle it. And one of the things I, I want to just challenge you with, and this would just be a question for you and the Holy Spirit. And I, I would love to just challenge you to ask Him ask Him if you've actually, in your heart at any time, if you've despised that gift. If you've made fun of it, if you've ridiculed people for using it, if you've used the opportunity when you've seen it not practiced well corporately, if you've used that opportunity to speak in judgment over that. I believe many of us grieve the heart of God when internally, um, we slander that gift or the gifts of god this gift of tongues is not the highest or the lowest it's just one of the gifts and paul emphatically champions this gift emphatically champions it and sometimes because of our experiences in church life depending on what how you've grown up and what you've seen um sometimes this gift can be a source of mockery which deeply grieves the heart of Jesus. Deeply does. I just want to invite you um, to allow the Holy Spirit to examine that if necessary and just to bring that before him. All right, uh, a couple of things. um, And I want to cover these. And I know uh, with this topic in general, we're on like, we're on some dangerous territory sometimes. And again, my, my heart in any of this is not to provoke you. Um, but what tongues are not, I want to just cover a few bullet points here. So number one, tongues are not a sign of greater spiritual maturity, spiritual depth, or holiness. In fact, none of the gifts are. None of the gifts are a validation of spiritual maturity or holiness. This is something we have to get very right. And this is an area where we've gone very wrong in the past because we we see people operating in powerful gifts, healing, prophetic, miracles, other things, and we elevate them, even if it's just internally, we elevate them to like this different standard, this different level. I was just um, listening to uh, somebody I respect talk about their personal relationship with a, a gentleman who's passed away now, but was a, a, a powerful prophet named Paul Kane in the US. And this guy, like the stuff that he, like blow your mind stuff, like literally Blow your mind. Stuff. In 2004, Paul confessed to long term sexual immorality. Long term. He'd been walking in a dual life. His gifts, as good as they were, were not a validation of maturity or holiness. We've gotta, we've gotta get this right. The validation, scripturally speaking, the validation of spiritual maturity is love. That's, remember we started, 1 Corinthians 13. The validation of the work and the depth of the Spirit of God in us is the degree to which we love and specifically love our enemies. This is the metric by which we measure maturity. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit and in love, not in power gifts. Gifts are what they are. They're gifts. And so, again, in a church, and the person that I was listening to talk, they had a long, long relationship and friendship with Paul Kane. And he said, I'm not saying this to indict or judge Paul. This is actually a judgment because I broke the number one rule, which was to revere the gift and blindly look the other way when inconsistencies of character and life came up. Because I was so enamored, I thought that God was going to do even more powerful things. And it's such a trap for us to think that we're going to follow people that have some kind of unique prophetic insight about things. We're not called to follow people. We're called to walk in intimacy with Jesus. Right? And the gifts that he gives and pours out are for the building up of the body. They're not to draw attention to ourselves or to validate our insecurities in any way. So tongues is not a measure of spiritual holiness or maturity. I added it twice there just for your, just for emphasis. (laughs) Uh, Okay, this one, again, I I know I'm treading on very sensitive territory here. And I have deep honor and respect for the classical Pentecostal movement and what it's done on the earth. Um, As I look at Scripture, though, so again, remember the three points of the triangle for the life of our church, coming under Scripture, rhythms, regular rhythms of spiritual practice, and walking in the dependence on the Spirit and His gifts. Coming under Scripture... I don't believe that tongues are necessarily the sole initial physical evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we could, we don't have time because I've already talked too long, but we could go through a number of scriptures where the filling and the pouring out of the Spirit is present, but tongues are not. Other gifts are present. So, Here's what I want to just clearly say to you, especially my Pentecostal friends here. I am not, I am not in any way devaluing legitimate encounters and experiences you've had with the Spirit of God in any way. I believe they're real and they happen. So I'm not in any way undermining that. I'm just specifically saying That it doesn't seem to me through examining scripture that tongues is necessarily the only initial physical evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we can talk more later about these words baptism of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, Spirit coming upon and anointing. We won't right now, but so tongues are not the greatest nor the least, they're simply a gift. Given to the body for the stewardship of God's purposes and plans. Next one, again, this is like, this is risky territory. Tongues are not necessarily given to every believer. Okay, so when I was younger, uh, in my late teens, early twenties, and I was taught about tongues, and and you know, like I mentioned my story last week, I won't get into it, but received the gift of tongues, I was taught that it was a gift for every believer and that there was a distinction in scripture between a gift of tongues to be used corporately and a prayer language of tongues. And the person who really made that most kind of mainstream was Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford taught um, and he was, again, a a wonderful man of God. I have a lot of respect for Jack Hayford. But his teaching was that Paul is talking about two different, um, two different things when he's talking about the corporate use of tongues and then when he's talking mostly in 1 Corinthians 14 about the private use of a prayer language. The problem is that Paul doesn't differentiate between the two. And often when, when Paul is naming tongues in Scripture with the other gifts, he's not drawing an exception there that somehow tongues are available for everybody across the board. Now, again, I'm not, we're not, I'm not holding this dogmatically or with an iron fist. I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. And this is largely what I grew up believing was, you know, there's these are two different things we're talking about. I'm not as convinced anymore about that. I think that we're talking about one gift that the Spirit distributes as He sees fit. And that you, as someone with that gift, can employ that in a corporate setting or in a private prayer language setting. One of the danger areas and the part of the damage done by that theology is it's not the reality for millions of Christians across the earth right now so when I asked before how many of you you know, uh, raised your hands that you have the gift of tongues not everybody did it could even be that more people than raised their hands have prayed and asked God for it but then why wouldn't God give it to me if he wants to give it to everybody And then we create this tiered class system and introduce like into people's lives, well, what's wrong with me? If God wants to give this to everybody, then there's something wrong with me. And then you start going into dangerous territory. Well, it's because you're not holy enough. It's because you're not doing this and you're not doing that. Precisely the very things that Paul is saying, the gifts are not linked to your holiness. They're not linked to any of those things. They're not linked to your performance spiritually. They're gifts given by the Spirit. But if we set this sort of ground rule that everybody here has access to that and you don't experience that, That can be so damaging to your faith. can be discouraging and demoralizing and leads you into a more religious, performative faith in order to try and attain something. So I'm in this sort of spot with this where I I don't know really the... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why God gives certain gifts to others and not others. And I would just say... If you're here and you have been asking for that gift, just out of curiosity, if anybody is here from last week or the who prayed for and asked for the gift, did that? Did anybody receive that gift last week? That was a part of the service. You did. You've not yet. Okay. So here would be my counsel to John or like anybody else. Keep asking. If it's genuinely something that you are desiring, keep asking the Father. Like I said, I, for me, it was over a year of every day intentional, not just haphazard, but a year. One of the other things I would say about tongues, because they come in different ways. Like so, Some people have experiences that are like just out of nowhere that it just happens. And others have experiences like mine where you have to kind of be taught a little bit. <laughs> you have to be kind of like, um, um not coerced in any way, but just like given a bit of instruction, like this is what this is. I realized after I had been prayed for Um, by this man that was mentoring. And after I had begun to pray in the Spirit, I realized later that in the course of that year, a few times I had begun to speak in tongues, but I was scared and I didn't didn't want to manipulate or manufacture something. So I just stopped because I thought this can't be it. I don't feel anything like surging and powerful in me right now. I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm even embarrassed of myself and there's nobody else in the room here. So I actually, that can be the experience for some of you that you've prayed for, it, but actually there's, there's fear and insecurity and other things, maybe teaching that have been a block. And so you just like, oh, I guess I don't have that. Let's just keep moving on. Um. So, like I said, as a church, again, I'm not, I'm not devaluing or, or um, in any way undermining the powerful encounters and experiences you've personally had with the Holy Spirit in this area in any way. And here at the church, like, if, if you want to call that baptism in the Spirit, I know, I that's okay. I know what you mean. If you want to call that being filled and use those interchangeably, that's okay too. Um, I'm more interested in us learning than how to steward these things well as a whole community. Paul combines, and I'll end with this, Paul combines tongues with interpretation when he's talking about the corporate body. And here would be our heart with this. So many churches, because this has gone so wrong so many times, and it's just as awkward, and there's confusion, and there's a whole bunch of stuff, then they just abandon it altogether. But that's not the answer to misuse. The answer to misuse is not disuse, it's right use. And so as a church, we want to be open and willing to have the Holy Spirit employ all of his gifts in our corporate body. But we are going to lean heavily on Scripture's teaching, on Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, on order in the body so that the full benefit of those gifts can come into fruition. So in a public setting, Paul is saying uh, if you're going to give an utterance in tongues, it needs to be interpreted. Why? So that everyone can benefit. So if you're gonna speak out loud here in our context, in tongues, we're gonna do this a couple of ways, I think, just as we learn to grow in this. If you feel like during worship, or maybe we'll even do this to end, I'm not sure, but if you feel like you, God is like, I, I have something for you to communicate in tongues, come and talk to one of us at the front. We're, we're totally open to it. We're totally open to that. Come and talk to us and we'll discern together whether that is the case. Paul is saying, even you know, in, when you're very proficient in this, as the church in Corinth was very experienced, a maximum of three people per service and each one has to have interpretation. Again, why? So that everyone is built up and edified by that. So, Here's what I would suggest. If you feel like you have something to say in tongues, the next question I want you to ask the Spirit is, is this for everyone here? Is this something, are you going to bring interpretation with this? And just ask him. Get a sense for that. Like, is this just something, again, like I said, the whole worship time, usually, I'm worshiping in tongues. You can't hear me because the music is loud enough, and that's, that's fine, do that in this service. But if you're going to stand up and you know, kind of draw attention to yourself and and bring our attention on this, then there needs to be interpretation with it so that everybody can be built up. These two gifts go hand in hand. So when you restrict tongues, you actually restrict a second gift of God from the life of the body. So interpretation, I just have a few things about that and um, and then we'll be done with this. Interpretation of tongues is the capacity to supernaturally understand what is being said in a human language or in an angelic language. Interpretation is not translation. So um, I've actually never interpreted tongues. How many people here have actually um, like would, would use the gift of interpretation. I've actually heard somebody, so a couple of you. Yeah, so um, I would love to pick your brains. Uh, interpretation may not be a direct word-for-word, word, uh, you, you know, like, like you would from French to English, kind of like it may not be a direct word-for-word. Word. It may not even sound like it has the same cadence or sentence length or things like that. Interpretation is the revelation that comes from the Spirit to say, this is what has been said. So, and that comes in various forms. When I was growing up uh, and a youngster going to a German Pentecostal camp, um, and they were practicing these gifts, the interpretation often came with a first-person voice, like, my people, my people, if you will. And often there was a deep scriptural connection to it, and it was the interpreter speaking like in the first person on behalf of God. That's often how I heard it growing up. In other situations, I've heard it and it's been more of a, hey, this is the, the heart of what's being said. So it's not like this one-for-one one kind of thing. It's like, I, you know what? I'm getting the sense that this is what the Spirit is saying um, in this environment or to us today through this. And so there are different ways to employ this gift. But again, this is not... Um, just this cookie cutter thing that is, uh, you know, Paul doesn't give us the manual on how to sort some of those things out. And so in our context here, um, we want to be open to God using this. We need it. We need his edification. And my call and my challenge to us as a body is to is to deeply revere Scripture and the guidelines that Paul sets out in them for how we can use this best in the corporate sense so that everyone can be built up and edified. And again, if somebody says, I have you know a tongue uh, and, and does it, and there's no interpretation, this is not a failure in the end of the world. <laughs> Paul's instruction to that person is, okay, just... Just be quiet now, like just keep that to yourself, but it's okay. It's God is not threatened by that kind of thing. He's actually, I think, so pleased when we step out in courage to begin to try and engage with and use the gifts of the Spirit in our life. And so this is the trajectory that we are on with that. Let's stand together. I want to just, as we close, just bring us back to 1 Corinthians 14, 1. And like I mentioned before, the gifts of God are not measures of maturity or holiness or some deeper level spiritually. Love is the measure. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14:1 Let love be your highest goal. Our highest goal as a family together is to walk in step with the spirit in such a way that the heart of God and the love of God can transform People that are locked in bondage and in brokenness and in hurt and in pain. Okay, quick pause before we head into what actually happened at the end of the service. And we've kept this in, again, I've wrestled with this. We've kept this in as a means to edify you, to encourage you, but also as an instructive demonstrative tool. We believe, I believe, that we cannot, we have to shift from a platform of propositional knowledge learning in church into uh, not only developing intellectual capacity and knowledge and learning, but experiential, practical understanding of what scripture is talking to us about. And so these gifts, these things must be experienced and uh, engaged with in order to be learned. You cannot just know this on paper. So that's why we're adding this in. I want you to know too, we've never done this. I've never had to lead through this. I shouldn't say had, I've never led through this. So our approach to this was with humility and fear and trembling. And I want you to know, you're first gonna hear me pray and I'm processing in real time what I'm, you know, I'm trying to be open to the Spirit and uh, responsive to His leading. This is not something that we wanted to just drive out of human initiative. But I want you to know, um, after I sort of asked the Holy Spirit if He had a word, Uh, There was silence, it seemed like it took forever. I was going in my head like, oh no, what have I just done? (laughs) Um, And uh, a woman in our church very reluctantly put her hand up and uh, her facial expression was sort of like big question mark. I'm not sure. So again, the posture behind this was not presumptive arrogance, overconfidence. It was humility and brokenness and uh, just a genuine desire to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one stewarding and shepherding this moment. And so that is what was going on in the room. For those of you who weren't here live with us, the environment in the room was very, it was like a holy consecrated moment. It was not filled with hype and with you know, overconfidence and exuberance. This was like fear and trembling. God, we want to be open to you working. And so I'll pass you on to this. I have one more thing that I want to add to this that um, I became aware of after this service ended. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a family together who... We're willing to take some risks to follow you, to, to walk in courage. And I just also, I wanna continue to ask, Father, that you would teach me to steward your presence. You would teach us as a body to steward your presence. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And I want to just ask, even as we close here, I'm going to take a risk, a big, big one. Holy Spirit, is there any tongue that you would want to bring to us right now? Is there anything you'd like to say to us? I want to ask you all, is there anyone here who actually senses the Spirit saying, yes, I want you to deliver something in tongues this morning? Yeah? Okay, so... Okay, so let's just pray and ask. Again, there's no, there's no problem, right? So let's just ask, Holy Spirit, um, yeah, if there's a word you want to bring in tongues, we're just asking that you would bring interpretation with that. Even now that you'd stir up that gift, you'd open our ears to hear. We trust you and we love you. Why don't you come up, can you come up over here? So this is part of us just learning and testing. It takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to do that. And again, we celebrate the courage to do that. And uh, Jesus is faithful and good. And. Yeah, so this is, yeah, so you're you're making a good point here. Okay, so Paul and his teaching on this would say, if someone else doesn't interpret, the one who's delivering in the tongue should also pray and ask for an interpretation of that. And so we're going to just take a risk together. And again, this is, we're doing this in love. Right, We're not, there's no judgment here. There's no condemnation. There's no fear in Jesus' name. And so I, again, in the name of Jesus, I silence every accusing voice of the enemy. We just command um, the enemy to be still and silent now in Jesus' name. In the Holy Spirit, we just, uh, we step into the safety of your presence with us. Jesus, you are here, and we are safe because you're here. And our heart is to want to just hear from your heart. And so, again, I ask, Holy Spirit, you'd stir up that gift of interpretation uh, with anyone here, in Jesus' name. (laughs)
1: Manasas on the Madison, the Bodas, the Region, and Matasan, the facility. Hananason, the Masson, and the Sessual Lesses, Alas, at the Patasa, the Bolo, the Sazo, the Tit, Akasos, the Bata Sessual Little Salamanos, or the GCC, Hadassus, the Visuals, the Sixteen, Hananosa, the Masson, and Joshua, and the and the Singing in the Masson in the Nation, and the Summon, and the the Titila, the the Amen.
0: So I want to ask um, if there's anybody here who would have interpretation for that. And we just ask Holy Spirit for your leadership in that. Yeah, Marilyn. Oh, okay. This is okay. So this is good. No, come over here, Marilyn. So this is good. Sometimes multiple people will have, uh, be able to understand what was happening. So, Lois.
1: I don't have the whole thing, but uh, the piece of it, um, there's a part of it that the scripture where it says to rend your heart and not your garments is... Part of, is that Isaiah? Yeah. But that's my heart. But I had that little piece.
0: So that scripture rend your hearts and not your garments. Um, Yeah, Marilyn. For I would say unto you, my children, draw near, draw near, draw near, draw near. Do not be afraid of these gifts, do not be afraid of what you're hearing. Put your mind at rest and put your heart at ease, for this is of me, says the Lord. I would want you to walk in a powerful way in these days because it is needed, says the Lord. Amen. All right, so last little bit here. And if you're still with us, congratulations. In some ways, I can't even believe it, <laughs> but I just wanted to leave you with some insight or insider information as to what happened after the service. We were praying with people and having some conversations for a little while after at the very front. My dad uh, came up to the front with a gentleman um, and they, this gentleman had indicated that he wanted to just chat with me. And he said, you know, before Marilyn gave this interpretation, I had the interpretation. And what she said was, exactly right, it was bang on. And so he just wanted to encourage me, which was a huge encouragement. And I just want to encourage you with that, that this was then confirmed through a few different directions. Secondly, the woman who gave the word in tongues on the following night, we had a a prayer night on Monday night after our day of prayer and fasting, which we do monthly, she, let us know that Sunday afternoon um, had some pretty incredible stuff happen in their home and relationally in in family. I don't want to go into any more details with you than that, but there was like tangible fruit in their home in the afternoon. And it was tangible fruit that was bearing witness to the goodness of Jesus. And so I just, i again, our heart in this is to be scriptural in how we deal with this, to be measured and to be obedient and faithful. But from where I sit right now, the, the purpose that Paul outlines for the gifts that they build up and edify the church, that happened. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. Thanks for hanging in there. We're going to continue to wrestle with these things and to do our best to walk in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, his God's empowering presence in our life more than ever. We need to be people walking with the empowering presence of God in our lives in a very real way. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.